You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick, happy to have everybody with us today and really excited to finally get businesswoman extraordinaire Caitlin Murphy on the podcast with us. I, I kind of joke and smile with that because you have two kids, very active, young. You've built your own business. Uh, your husband is an attorney, also helping you with the business. Just successful and a busy life. So it's been a challenge to get you here, but that's <laughs> why we get together and talk. Yeah. So Caitlin, you are founder, CEO of Global Gateway Logistics that started in 2017. Mm-hmm. And since then, which 17 seems like a long time ago, but really it's not, about right. six, five to six years ago. And since then, you've built this hugely successful global logistics business, and you've won so many awards, so much so that I'm going to take an easy out here and say that I looked up <laughs> some of them online, but they're almost too numerous. A couple that stick out to me, and I'll let you fill in from there, the Tory Birch Fellow I read a little bit about what they said. It, it was an empowered women campaign, which I love. And you might be one of the first of 50 women that they gave that to. I, I believe we were the second class in 2019. Yeah. So mm -hmm. early on, you got to go to New York City, do all these things. You'll talk about that. I won't. I'll, I'll stop there, not to bore people listening. But other awards, gosh, in 2020, top 50 of the third-party logistics firms by Global Trade Magazine. I think you just mentioned before we came on most influential businesswomen, St. Louis Business Journal. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if there was a hundred of them or you were one of so-and-so. And what other accolades should we mention? Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm happy to be here. So um, I will preface it by saying like, you know how they have dog years, like for dog years, like one year of life is like seven years of dog years. The same goes for entrepreneurism. Five years as an entrepreneur is really 10. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've had the business for five years. Um, I've done some really incredible experiences through it. Um, just to, to add to the list, one of the really notable things that I got to be a part of was Governor Parsons' um, Supply Chain Task Force. He started that last year to really focusing on on some key issues and risks that both Missouri has and the nation as well in supply chain. Um, so we looked at infrastructure, we looked at the trucking industry, we looked at um, the rail, inland waterways, um, and we really took stakeholder ideas, thoughts, discussions, and put together a report for the governor um, and his team to act on um, should they they agree with some of the initiatives. How do you think they identified you to be a part of that? I have always believed that network is everything in business. And so I have, within the transportation network in St. Louis, there are some incredible organizations. St. Louis Freightway is one of them. It's a group, um, I, I call it quasi-governmental, um, they, because they work very, very closely with, with local government. But 
what St. Louis Freightway does is really try to look at the opportunities to strengthen St. Louis and Missouri um, from a transportation network. And so um, years ago, I was at a World Trade Center event, um, which is also a wonderful network to be a part of. And I met Mary Lamy, who's the director of St. Louis Freightway, also would be a great person for your podcast. And she her and I just immediately connected on this passion we have to really strengthen St. Louis's transport as as a transportation hub. So thinking of transportation and logistics, one of the things I wrote down is when people hear it's a logistics company, what does that mean? Yeah. So Global Gateway Logistics, we are a licensed freight forwarder and NVOCC. Um, two different licenses. They both come from the government, from the Federal Maritime Commission. Um, essentially, a freight forwarder is a broker in the easiest way to explain it. So we are we are in the middle between the buyer and the seller or the shipper and the consignee. And we're saying, okay, here is the best way to ship your product from point A to point B from a cost, transit, um, minimizing the risk. So the freight forwarding aspect of it is really the arranging of the transportation. Um, We're utilizing our relationships with asset-based carriers, like um, think ocean ocean carriers. Um, We're working with teams overseas. We work in every single country um, as a freight forwarder. And so we work with other freight forwarders in different foreign countries to facilitate import-export. And then what we also do is we sort of negotiate um, amidst all of our carriers who has the best rate for what lane, for what cargo. Um, And you're really piecing things together uh, to create a perfect package for a shipment. Um, So that's the freight forwarding side of things. The NVOCC side of things, it stands for Non-Vessel Operating Common Carrier. That license was really important to me because it takes it up a notch. So... With, when you have an NVOCC license, you're able to contract directly with steamship lines. Whereas without that, you have to go through another entity to purchase space um, or to negotiate. You know, let's say there's a, a client that ships 500 containers a year and we want to get them a contract. We couldn't go directly without that license to um, MSC or Maersk steamship line and get them a negotiated contract. We'd have to go through someone else. Um, so the NVOCC license allows us to also do utilize our own bills of lading, very technical stuff I won't get too far into, but it really allows us to further represent our client at the negotiating table. How did you get to where you're at today? I know you have a degree in international business. Mm-hmm. Can't gloss over the fact that you speak Mandarin. Right. And I'm sure that's hugely helpful when we think about shipping globally. But how did it all start? And what I love, well, I'll let you speak first, but I have a story in mind you told me one time okay. that just was funny and I and I want to play that out. But you go first. How did you get How'd here? I get started? Right. This is probably the one question I get asked the most. Um, how did you get into logistics? Because most people, I mean, what's fascinating about the field of international logistics is it's considered still a trade at this point. Um, it's not, you don't get a degree at many universities in, in maritime or ocean shipping or freight forwarding. You can get degrees in supply chain management with with aspects that 
could potentially pertain to the the movement of the cargo, but it's more focused on the the production of the cargo, right? So global logistics is really still a trade. Um, and it was when I got started. So I lived in, um, I graduated from Mizzou and I had already studied abroad in China a couple of years prior. I fell in love with the culture. I spoke the language and I just felt like I was determined to go be a successful businesswoman in China. And so I moved over there and, um, you know, I was very humbled very early on in my career where here I thought I would gonna I was gonna be this uber successful businesswoman in China. And within three months, it was like f- like crashing, like a huge crash and burn because I underestimated things and I took things for granted. Like, you know, I didn't understand the legal system in China as an employee as an employee. Um, So, for instance, the first company I worked for, if they didn't make the revenue that they thought they needed to make to to meet their targets for expenses, they could hold back your pay for the next month. And you only get paid typically once a month in China. And so I underestimated that, you know, went into it blindly. And um, I sold everything I had, everything I owned to move to China. That was the only nest egg I had. And... The first day I woke up after um, I arrived, sight unseen, I I signed up for an apartment um, room with two gentlemen, one from Greece, one from the United States, and they knocked on my door the day after I arrived, um, and I woke up in this daze of time zone and all of that, and they said, "Um, hi, nice to meet you. The landlord needs your rent. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I go in and and grab the... um, the money needed for the first month's rent. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. In China, you have to pay like six months rent in advance. And that six months rent in advance was the only savings I had to survive on in China. And then, but at the time I was like, it's okay. I'll get paid with my paycheck at the company. And then that never came. And so, I mean, there were there were months where I just survived on like vegetables and white rice and like roasted sweet potatoes from street vendors on China because that's all I could afford. And I just remember feeling so lost. And I was telling my roommate um, from Greece this, and he was getting his master's nearby and he had a much greater global perspective in business. And he said, I really think you should look into logistics. And immediately I was like, I have no idea what that is. And he said, well, you know, research it, read about it. I think you would be really good at it. And so I just started like peeling the onions back on what global logistics was. And at the time, there wasn't a ton of information out on the internet. Um, But ironically, St. Louis had had announced, I was still getting emails um, from, you know, different organizations in St. Louis and business. And one came through for the Midwest China Hub Commission, And so then I started looking at that, and that was all about logistics. It was trying to bring um, essentially a a trade hub to Lambert Airport for China, um, trade with China, air freight with China. And um, so I reached out to, I believe it was Claire McCaskill's office really supported that initiative. And I just reached out and said, I live in China. How can I get involved in this? I want to help. I want to see St. Louis grow as a global um, a global base for trade. And then they started putting me together with the right people. And then ultimately, um, faith is a big driver in my life. And um, 
I had sort of a revolutionary moment at a church in in Beijing where I just felt like God was calling me back to St. Louis to start a career in logistics. So I had no money to even get the air ticket back to St. Louis. I still hadn't been paid by the company. I had to go to the boss, negotiate in Mandarin for my pay while trying to quit at the same time. So it was super stressful, but eventually um, I... I think a couple weeks went by and I finally got that paycheck and almost to the dollar, it was the airfare back to St. Louis. Um, So came back to St. Louis, started from the ground up. As I had researched logistics, I noticed that there were all of these interesting um, facets to logistics. It's not just one ecosystem. It's a lot of different ecosystems that all work together. So you have trucking or domestic logistics, and then you have the international portion, but then you also have customs clearance and you have um, overseas government regulations. And so I chose what I thought was like the lower hanging fruit to start out in. And so I um, started in domestic logistics, learning less than truckload and truckload, understanding the minutia between that. Um, I have a lot of respect to the to this day for people that do domestic logistics on a day-to-day basis. It's extremely stressful, fast-paced. Um, I've never heard more cursing in my life than when I worked at that domestic logistics company. Um, but it, it, it absolutely was the best way to start this journey because I could understand what we call the first mile and last mile. When something, when cargo moves globally, it domestically has to pick up where it's going. Um, And then back to my network, how I ended up in global logistics. um, I was still involved with the Midwest China Hub Commission and the World Trade Center, and I was an extern for them. So, you know, whenever they would have a project or they would say, hey, can you translate this? Can you, you you know, help us um, with a marketing initiative? I gladly just donated my time to do it. And um, they are still such an incredible support to Global Gateway Logistics and to me from a network perspective. And so they had invited me to a lunch. um, And it just so happened that the person sitting next to me was, um, I think, a a manager, director of air freight for Unigroup, which was a very large freight forwarding and, and logistics company. And I had just been saying like, yeah, you know, I just got into logistics. I'm really interested in it. I really would like to use my language at some point and get into Global Logistics. And he literally looked at me at that lunch and said, can you come in for an interview on Wednesday? I'm like, sure. So, um, you know, then I I entered into the field of global logistics, and that's where my passion just shot off. Um, And so for several years, um, one of my biggest notable clients was Four Seasons. And when they would open up a new property like Four Seasons Dubai and George V in Paris and St. Petersburg, Russia, I was able to, to be that global logistics project manager for them. And essentially, everything that you see that goes into a Four Seasons Hotel, the the beautiful bedroom furniture and desks, all the way to the lobby chandeliers, I had to learn how to, um, what different countries' regulations were on import-export with different commodities. And I would have to ship chandeliers from Italy to Katka, Finland, and then truck it to St. Petersburg, Russia. And it was the best experience to understand global the the extreme um minutia that goes in um to global logistics so from there i just kind of continued on and eventually it led me to starting global logistic or gateway global gateway started in 2017 um 
and really we 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 knew we wanted to stay in the global realm. So although we offer domestic logistics, it's not our our forte. So the story we're going to lead to some other things. The story I remember you telling me and and uh, talked with somebody else today about something they remember from their childhood who, oh, looking back, I should have been in sales or I should have done this. Yeah. You said you were always a salesperson. Yes. And you got this job at a beauty store. Mm-hmm. And you realized your passion, but you also, I think, had some other takeaways because of the structure of the the company and the payouts and what that really meant to you. Yeah. At the end of the day, how that came to you as one of the the consultant salespeople. So tell me that story because I think it's interesting, funny, and kind of it was really insightful to, ah, Caitlin, that makes sense. Potential, yeah. So when I was 16, um, I got a job at a local beauty store. um, And it was, it had a salon and everything, but it also had a, a massive storefront. So I mean, more shampoo and conditioner lines than I even thought existed in the world. And my job was to just be customer service. So ring people out when they finished shopping. And then I noticed, though, even at 16, um, I noticed that people would come in and they would just wander, looking at different things and picking up bottles and trying to decipher the information of, well, what do I need to make my hair look great? And I've always had this desire to make people feel comfortable and to also make them feel confident. And so I started to kind of approach these women one by one, and I would just say, you know, hi, can I help you? What are you looking for? And they would say things like, and it was totally, every woman was different. One woman would would say, my hair's just really dry. What do you suggest I get? And then um, I would go into this, like, sales pitch. And and. It was because I I was so passionate for them to be confident. So I would say, oh, my goodness, you have to try this. This is incredible. It's done wonders to so many people's um, journey with their health care or their hair care. And these women would always buy whatever I recommended. And at 16, that's when I was like, oh, I am really good at sales. I am very good at driving confidence. And, um, and so then I ultimately realized – wow, I'm good at sales. And then I noticed that the company had this program where, you know, they would have different incentives depending on how much you sold on retail value. And then I really jumped into it when I saw that I've always been somewhat um, financially driven um, to succeed. And so I noticed like, oh, I can I can do this, something I'm just naturally good at and make more money at the same time. And then I just really excelled. Um and then I think they hated it because like two years later, I was like, hey, I'm going off to college. See you later. And they're like, wait, we we were hoping we could just groom you for management. Um, but I'll never I'll always, always love that opportunity because it it really opened my eyes into these different aspects of my personality and characteristics that it helped me in every job interview moving forward because um, I learned how to not only sell to other people, but to sell myself. So you go from that job to college to I'm going to just go to China. And I think you just gloss right over that. And and maybe at some point, you know, many people from different areas will be listening to this, but we're in St. Louis. Right. Which is pretty like Midwestern 
St. Louis people leave maybe, but come back. But especially how long, when was it? Uh, the first time I was there was in 2007. So pre-FaceTime? Oh, yeah. Skype had just come on to, um, I think, yeah, Skype was was just arriving to the scene. So my, if we're recording this in 2023, much different yeah. world back then. But I'm going to go to China. What What was it in you that just said, I'm going and I'm taking that chance? So it, it kind of was in between desire and force because Mizzou actually did not, at the time, they did not have enough credit hours in Mandarin for me to graduate. We had to petition the dean even to add a class so that, so it's funny, in Mandarin at Mizzou, our class started off with, you know, 20-something people. And then the second year, it went down to, I think, 15, 10 or 15, between 10 and 15. And then the third year, there was like eight of us. And then finally, senior year, there were four four of us, I believe. Um, and so, you know, of course, universities look at that and say, financially, we have to gauge, you know, do we do we add in a, a professor just to, to teach these four? Um, I will praise Mizzou because they met us where we needed to be with our degrees. But I knew I needed a lot of, of credit hours in Mandarin. So I took an intensive Chinese language program in twenty, yeah, two thousand seven, um, through a study abroad group called CIEE. It was incredible, um, and we went to Peking University, which is the equivalent of, of Harvard in the United States. Um, and so, what's interesting though is that you know that's a very governmental university too. So a lot of Chinese, the upper crust, um, some of the most respected and well-noted government officials, their children and their children's children go to that university. Um, And so I will forever be thankful for that opportunity because I know the millions of Chinese men and women that work their entire lives just to try to get into Peking University. And, you know, I was able to go on this study abroad program. So I hold that very near and dear. Um, And it was an incredible program. You could not speak a lick of English when we arrived. I also didn't know that. Um, So when we arrived, we got settled. You could choose to live on campus or off campus. I chose off campus because I really wanted to dive into the culture. And so um, the first day I showed up to class and my Mandarin was you know, from a one, a level one to five, I think maybe I was at a two. I underestimated all these other people that were coming from Ivy League universities in the United States in the same program with me. They were at level four. And so I was already intimidated, but then I started speaking, oh, I'm Caitlin Murphy. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. And the professor like scolded me and he's like, you cannot speak English here. And I went home that first day and I just started crying because I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, my Mandarin's not that great. But it forced me into this tunnel vision of getting better at Mandarin. And so when all you have to do almost every day of the week is speak one specific language and leave your native language behind, it is the best way to immerse yourself and really um, learn the language faster. And I did. I mean, I think I left there... And I was at like a level four. That's how much I grew just in that one program. How long were you there? What was the time frame? 
I was only there for six months and I and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the culture. We got to travel around China. Um, we went southern, northern, eastern, um, western, and I was just fascinated with their history, with their culture. Um, I've never felt more safe in my life than walking the streets of China by myself at night. Um, and and then at the same time, there's such grat- gratitude still to this day. There's such gratitude from the Chinese culture for any foreigner that takes on the effort to learn their language. It's probably the most notable difficult, most difficult language to learn in the world is what most people say. Um, And ironically, you know, my brain, I was never the mathematics science person. I was the linguistics, like I can pick up the language really quickly. And so I just fell in love with it. And then that's when I, I knew I had to go back. I had to try to work there and see if that was part of my story. Okay, that that little bit of leap makes more sense however still a great feat yeah to take on especially when you said you know i had no idea i couldn't right. speak english i had no idea this which seems to be somewhat of a theme of some of the things we've already talked about yeah. i had no idea uh and i'm sure we'll get to it at some point that maybe sometimes that's a good thing because had you known yeah those difficulties had you known going in i'm gonna give my all of my life savings up the day i get there Would you have gone? Probably not. No. I think fear takes a hold of someone and stops them from getting to their true potential. Um, And so, you know, for me, I've really tried to live a life of being fearless. And of course, it leads to a lot of mistakes and a lot of valleys. But I guarantee you all of the mountaintops I've climbed, I would have never done it had I let fear drive is that consistent? Do you, I, I sometimes wonder if as we get easier when you don't have a lot to take those risks and you're mm-hmm. not going to lose a lot, have you found it's gotten harder to stick to that as you as your company's bigger, you're getting more awards, you have more responsibilities, you have more people relying on yeah. you? Yeah, it is. It's a lot harder. Um, you know, I still try to tell myself don't lose that fire of you know, being fearless and courageous to go do things. But with scale, and I know we talked about it a little bit privately, but with with starting up your company, there's a lot of fear of failure. Scaling your company, there's a lot of fear still of failure, but the fear starts to like almost blossom into all these other fears, right? So like you have fears of the employees that you take care of. You have fears of your reputation once, you know, once you finally get a company up and moving and running and scaling. And so I think, you know, for me, I have to keep that gut feeling of don't let fear deter you if it's something that you really want. But also sometimes fear has a way of pulling us in and making us realistic. Otherwise, we'd all be the Elon Musk type big thinkers and who knows what the world would look like. Some of us need to be able to have, you know, those lanes. Like fear kind of keeps you in the, the the lane instead of veering back and forth over the lanes. Like when you're driving your car yeah, exactly. and it starts beeping or that light on the side goes yeah. off because you your blind yeah. spot's full, which is... Right. So fear, I think, or... I'll actually, what I call fear is anxiety. That's what I fear is to me is anxiety. Um, 
and I've I've even said to many people in, in that I'm friends with in business that sometimes I feel that um, anxiety is a way of telling me that I'm I'm either doing something wrong or I need to do something. So, and I also bring it into a faith perspective in my business and feel that you know, for me, if God, if I have anxiety, it is a it is God telling me, Caitlin, you're not in line with what your purpose is and you're not or or you know you need to take action or the action you took was the wrong action and you need to fix it so anxiety is really my um my what do they call it in the cars now this the the guidance lanes or the um i can't think of the term but but that's really what it is like it it beeps when anxiety beeps me when i'm i'm veering off course that's a good analogy. Maybe at some point we just came up with that together, yeah, right? And right. Maybe at some point I'll, I'll be throwing it. that out there. Right, right. <laughs> the guidance system for your yeah. life. <laughs> what, um, so many pieces there, but in line with your purpose, that's a theme when we talk to a lot of women and I think a lot of people in general. That purpose is your guiding light. So how did you figure that out? What What is your purpose and how do you stay true to it? So there's a big difference between um, passion and purpose. My passion has always been global logistics. and But I've always felt my purpose was to impact the world in a, in a positive way. And I, in my youth, I thought that meant having to do something grand and big. And I actually, before, I really contemplated in 2009, before moving back to China and going the business route, I contemplated joining the Peace Corps because I thought that's a big, big move to make an impact on the world. And what what I God has really taught me throughout my life is that he doesn't need me to have this big impact. It's a lot of small impacts with one-on-one with people that leads to a much bigger purpose. So my passion was global logistics, but my purpose was really like doing good for others. And so I remember driving around St. Louis after I had decided I'm going to start my own global logistics company. And my husband, Evan, and I are walking or driving around. And I'm like, what should I call this company? And we were having discussions on like, well, what's the purpose of it? And, and, and I said, I, the, the, word gateway just came into my mind not because we're in the gateway city the gateway city or the gateway to the west that's actually a, a facet of it but i just remember thinking i want to create gateways for people i want to do that in logistics through logistics but i also want this hopeful success of the business to create bigger gateways and so a huge reason um of why I I really took the leap in entrepreneurism to start Global Gateway was because I wanted to build a philanthropic program through that to speak to my purpose. Um, and so the program, I actually named the program before I named the company. I named the program Gateway for Good before the company name ever came to fruition. And, um, and so Gateway for Good, you know, I'll be completely raw with you that – when I started, I knew that that was my passion and or my purpose and that through my passion of logistics, we could fund this purpose of why we exist. And 
you start the business and then all of a sudden all the stress comes in. And I mean, I bootstrapped this business. And so I had no no savings account, no I mean, God bless my husband for for just going with my crazy idea to start a company and I remember the first shipments we had, we had to put on a personal credit card, take cash advances out to pay a truck driver in Mexico because unbeknownst to me, no one wanted to do business, no carriers wanted to do business with me because I was brand new. And you had no history and I had or no track credit record. history as a company. I had nothing. So to to you know mitigate their risk, we had to prepay the shipment. But the client over here is saying, "Well, no. I mean, we expect net thirty payment terms, Caitlin." So what happened was, you know, I got into this moment of fear of, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do?" Long story short, you know, we made it work. We we drained every account every credit card we had and we sweated it out until we got our first payment from our first client. And so my point to that is that you get so lost in the in the startup phase of a business that you start to lose your purpose. And that's really been my story for you know the first few years of this business. I would say up until maybe last year you get so tunnel focused on keeping the business alive, growing revenue, cash flow, um, hiring employees at the right time for the right purpose, right? You always have to essentially hire for growth, and but you also have a budget on, the, on a startup budget on the same time. So all these things get in your head and just a flurry of stress that I totally took my my eye off of my purpose. And it caused me to get very lost as a CEO. Do you think, though, I mean, I know, again, I remember those stories where you were saying we took credit cards out, we took all this debt out, we didn't even we didn't know. And if these people were going to pay, even Mm -hmm. if it was the net 30. So this was a very probably, and I don't want to put words touch and go precarious kind of woo. You got I wouldn't nothing's ever perfect, right? But clearly in the time you've built a great reputation, your business does great work, probably have gotten over a couple molehills. Could you be there today in the business if you split your time and your energies on both? On Gateway for Good and the business. So the whole idea is that we don't have to split it. The whole idea is that the heart of the company is Gateway for Good. Um, and so that's actually a revelation that's come to me this year is that in in scaling the business, I have not made our purpose the purpose of every employee at Global Gateway. Mm. And that is something that I think is so is such a vital lesson for a CEO and an entrepreneur to learn as you scale like, Make sure that your purpose is the same purpose that gets you out of bed, gets every one of your employees out of bed. And so now we are totally in 2023, we're totally restructuring structuring Gateway for Good to where the employees are decision makers of what we do in that purpose. So are we starting an internship program for lower socioeconomic individuals to learn the field of logistics? Are we what what? you know, nonprofits are we supporting and how are we supporting them between time and money? But instead of me having to decide that because that was my purpose, I'm now saying to the company, 
you're a part of this company, you're our family, this is our purpose. And you have to be bought into this purpose because otherwise, if you do split it, they I promise you, employees will spend all of their time working to grow the company. Numbers, numbers, shipments, customers, and all the things that are super important, but they will totally wake up in the morning going, I don't know what our purpose is. I don't know, you know. And so my goal is like on their worst day in logistics, they can look at it and go, I have a bigger purpose to exist here at Global Gateway than just financial. So when people think about what's your vision, sharing it, what's your culture, yeah. nurturing it, making sure it's it's well known, and you're hiring the people or you're putting the people around you that are want to support that yeah. and buy in. And if they don't, fine. Yeah. Uh, like right. any relationship out there, right? Not everybody's meant for everyone. But making sure you don't lose sight of right. where my original question was going was, oh my gosh, you are doing a lot. How could you possibly be successful where you're at today if you also tried to focus on that? But yeah. I think what I'm understanding now, it's less of we had to build this foundation that was doing all this stuff too. It was more about let's not forget this beacon this uh, lighthouse whatever let's share it with everybody let's still keep it there and we will when it's the right time Mm -hmm. we'll put effort time on that but don't lose sight of the meaning behind it yeah and so i think you know i i give a lot of advice to you know startups and and ceos and what i tell them is it's okay for your your mission statement to change over time you know I would say absolutely go into it with a mission because otherwise, you know, you you have to hold on to something when you're in the storm. And to me, that that's what a mission statement does is that that's your that helps you anchor yourself to, OK, we will survive this because this is why we exist. This is our mission. Um, but it's OK for it to change. It's OK for it to evolve. Now, the only way that I can do this successfully, which my husband Evan will tell you this is like one of my character flaws is it's really hard for me to let go of things. It's really hard for me to delegate because I feel like I want to do it all, all the time. And with the program, that's what I was doing. I was choosing who we support. I was choosing how it's done. And I wasn't making the team a part of it. And so now, you know, I've had that revelation of, wow, you know, this really has to be moving forward why we exist and i want them to be the drivers of it and to feel that same passion of you know logistics is a super high stress industry and it's not for everybody but the staff we have is so incredible and and i hold them so close to my heart and i want them to be able to wake up knowing that they're doing good in the world every day too not just as a logist, a logistician, but as a person, as a human being. I often think everything I learned to be a leader at work, I learned being a parent. And so what you were saying there is, you know, early on, at least for me, I think of my kids who are now 11, almost 14. Well, by the time this airs, 14 and 16. And I remember early on, right, you do everything, you tie their shoes, you hold behind the bike, (laughs) or you're actually, I I don't remember, I think it was the second one was born where they finally made those bikes with the pole on the back. And so you'd bend over and you'd be pushing (laughs) and your back would hurt. But then you get to the point where you let go of the bike and they're, 
it might be rocky at first. They might fall a couple times, but yep. the pride that that person, that your child gets from mm-hmm. it, and the pride you get from seeing them accomplish something. I don't know. That was yes. running through my mind when yes. you said that. So you could buy, give it. And I have a hard time too, right? You know, it's like, I just know how it needs to be done. We got to go. I don't have time for you to take a little bit longer. We got to go. But by letting go, you oh, elevate yeah. everyone to a different yeah. level than you thought That's you could. That's a great word, elevate. And you provide the opportunity. And so through all of that, like I've started to do that. And to really step out of operations and truly be a CEO and be a leader and a motivator and a visionary for my team. And by doing that, I've been able to elevate each person, not only in their position, but, you know, the goals that they have in their life. And it's been a very rewarding experience. And I now, you know, the thing I'm the most proud of, like all the accolades you talked about me in the beginning, they're wonderful. I, I appreciate all of them and I think they're great. But the biggest accolade is something that will never be written on a bio for me. And it's that, you know, I've helped one of my employees who didn't think that she could get a job in logistics because her English wasn't very good, um, but she was a logistician in Vietnam. I've been able to give her that opportunity, provide her that motivation, give her that confidence, and now she's running operations for me. She's our global solutions director, and she's incredible, and she's a problem solver. And she, I tell her, I said, my goal is to to hire people and to grow them to be better than I am. And so I, I, I've seen that with her and then with with she's now grown her team and they're doing the same thing. And so it's just this beautiful um, journey of letting go and letting people. I tell everyone that starts at our firm, it is OK to fail. It is OK to make a mistake. I'd rather you make a mistake and we lose money on a shipment than for me to tell you exactly how to do something every single time. And so, you know, I think that gives my staff a lot of faith in themselves to that it's okay. I can I can overcome this. And and they do. They make mistakes, but you know, I will tell you when they do, they're they are always the first thing they're going to say is I'm never going to do that again. And I'm like, "Perfect. That that was the goal." So, I, yeah, I definitely th- I can relate to your um your example 100%. Are you hiring? Maybe I want to work for you now. (laughs) Yeah, actually. So what's interesting is um, we are hiring actually for several positions. And what's funny is um, I just have to throw this in there because I think it's a good business advice. LinkedIn, to me, is one of the best ways to recruit. Um, I've had such a wonderful experience with it in the past. Now, one thing that... um, you know, Reed Hoffman started LinkedIn. I'm sure he is probably not in the day-to-day anymore. But if I could speak to him, one thing I would say is, you guys severely need to change your filters on location because post-COVID, most people work remote, right? And so what's difficult is when you go to post a job, you have to choose a location. Mm-hmm. It won't let you deflect that. Um, and so... Because we choose hybrid, right? Like we believe in culture. We want you to be, you know, with local staff. Um, So preferably we want, we have offices in Houston and St. Louis, and we're looking to open one in Miami now. So what was interesting is like when I put St. Louis as the location, I think I got one applicant. The next day I thought, you know, I'm going to do an experiment and I'm going to change it to Miami. 
I had 25 applicants within like three hours. And so what I realized was that, you know, wow, this is something that is really intricate. Like there needs to be an option for several locations for one job position because you're getting different talent in different markets. Um, so yeah, but it's it's interesting. Every day you learn something new. And now you're saying Miami. I mean, yeah. You're not only are you hiring, you're hiring in Miami. Uh my like, God, my husband could get a, a new job. We right there. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, I love what you said about just the culture and being okay to fail. It's okay to fail. If not, not only that it's okay, it's good to fail. But it sounds like you've, it's hard for anybody, I think, to figure that out. But you've set that culture that, I mean, how'd you do it? Would you just flat out tell them? Do you tell them every day? How, how do you build that work environment it's not just one one thing that builds that it's it's trust over time when they first started the company you know they're they don't immediately feel like okay i'm supported whether i fail or not they have to go through that they have to experience that failure um and i hate the word failure i would even just say a mistake instead but they have to go through that mistake for for them to feel the grace we give. Um, because I, I throughout my entire life, I've learned through mistakes. And I think the most successful people I know and the people that I really hold, um, hold up on a pedestal in business, they're people that overcame mistake after mistake after mistake, but they took that knowledge and that wisdom and applied it to grow. And so, you know, we teach the same with our with our staff, but then it's also something where we nurture it. We don't just say, okay, you made a mistake, don't do it again. We, we nurture it and say, how, why did this mistake happen? Is it something in our training process that, that we missed? Give me that feedback. We have a massive open door policy. Every single person at the company, not just the CEO, but the leadership, um, everyone has to have an open door. You you have to have that communication um, flowing freely, and really, I th- I would feel my staff knows that with me that they can come to me with any issue, with any problem, and I take it to heart, and I don't just you know kind of let it fly and say, well, you know, get over it. I will really work to support them in every way. So I feel like now I've done my job as a CEO in a startup, growing the company, but now in the scale, the whole mission is to support the staff that is actually doing the scale. They're the ones that are showing up every day for our clients. Um, And so I have had to really do some deep dive into how I can support them better. I heard recently that failure is feedback. Yeah. And so maybe a, a different way to look at failure or mistakes is that it's feedback. But I think it's also the choice, right? Mm-hmm. So the failure, the mistake, the whatever happens, you have the feedback. Right. Now, how do you think about it? And what do you do with it? So you have the choice to either, and I'm saying this almost for my own benefit than maybe anybody else who's listening, because I hate making mistakes. I grew up, you know, yeah. straight A's, you, you know, you got to be perfect. Perfectionism is just will hold you back. Talk about anxiety and fear. Perfectionism will hold you back from taking those chances. So I think it's the choice in how you perceive or what what do you Mm -hmm. do with it? Do you live in that 
and and stew over it or like you said it sounds like learn but there's no blame or shame yeah let's what are the facts what went wrong where did it go wrong can we fix it how do we fix it how do we prevent it in the future and learn from things that might be similar but different right yeah i mean that's exactly what we do um i do that as a parent too with my children it's okay to make mistakes but let's get to the root cause of it and and let's figure out you know why this happened i do the same thing with the staff um and i just believe that that helps grow their character their trust in me um and then what what our clients then receive is all the benefits from it right and so we also have a lot of integrity as a company so if we make a mistake and you know let's say we missed In our business, um, there's something called last free days where shipments show up at a port. You have so many days to pick it up. And if you don't pick it up, you get hit with storage, um, storage fees daily. So let's say, you know, one of our staff members, it just slipped. They missed that the shipment arrived for some reason or they missed that the last free day. And there's $1,000 in storage. Because that was our mistake, a human on our team made that mistake, not, you know, not anybody else, we will never pass that on to the client. We absorb that fee. We take a hit on the profit. Um, And we do that because I want them to know too. I want to teach them what integrity in business is and what integrity to your clients means. And there's a lot of times the clients will never even know we did that. Um, Because it's something that, you know, I want, at the end of time, like I want to be known as the company that they're honest. They have a lot of transparency, but then they have a lot of accountability. And I think accountability is a a big word. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes underneath that because, you know, fear of mistakes, fear of admitting you're not perfect, uh, and, and, and the communication of how do you hold yourself accountable internally in your head what do you say to yourself and how do you hold others accountable to get on the right path versus it being that negative right connotation potentially how do you guys do that as far as making that accountability i would assume consistent but positive we cross train so everybody knows everybody's job right so if you're a manager you know an associate's job an associate knows a manager's job for the most part and we do that because we fully drive home teamwork that, you know, if someone's overloaded and they're so stressed out because of just the sheer volume of shipments that they have to handle, we want to ensure that they're supported by their team, by management. And so for accountability, it, it's a two-way street. You know, we hold other people at the company to be accountable for their clients. They each have, you know, their their client portfolios. But they're also accountable to be honest with us and to tell us when they're overwhelmed and to tell us when they need more training on something or they don't understand the process. Um, and then management, you know, they're accountable to step up and support. They're accountable to look out for where there's gaps, where there's mistakes being made. Um, and so I think just really keeping that, um, the accountability, something that it's tied into, to your goals, to your annual goals, um, and that you're reviewing it. Like if you're accountable for a specific 
gross profit margin on your portfolios, we're going to hold you accountable to it. We're going to look at the reports. We're going to talk with you, you know, weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly, annually to review that. And then there's a follow through with it. Um, And so because otherwise accountability doesn't exist if there's no follow through. You said teamwork. Actually, I wrote about a bunch of things down here. I what stuck out stood out was teamwork and goals. So teamwork. How do you build a great team? There was this podcast I listened to. It's an NP, yeah, an NPR podcast called Hidden Brain, and it was so transformational for me. This episode, um, and I believe it's called Watering Hole. Um, if you want to listen, it was so interesting. And so the whole idea of it was diversity. They used the the example of a watering hole in Africa, and how. It doesn't matter what species you are as an animal. You're all coming to that watering hole for to sustain, right? So the whole idea of the watering hole is that these species come to it for sus- to sustain themselves, but then there's this flourish of life, of ideas. You know, there's um, there's a lot of cross species, right, and com- communication, and so they used that theory and applied it to business. And so I've taken that and I've taken that theory on how we recruit for our team. So I don't specifically look for people that in their resume that have freight forwarding experience. Of course, it's a plus. It saves us on training time. But for me, I look at super innate qualities that are different from what other people have on the team. So we believe in building a completely diverse staff. So diverse in the way of thinking is the most important thing to me. Um, We also believe in diversity. Like I have a huge heart for women in logistics. I really want to see more women in logistics. So we really support that diverse element of diversity. Um, And we really want to target lower socioeconomic individuals from different walks of life, different races, different genders. Because everybody can come to the logistics table together, and I can teach anybody freight forwarding. I can't teach them problem solving, um, multitasking, being able to handle pressure, um, and so, or data science. We have one person on our team who is working on her second master's degree in data science um, applied to supply chain. And what's interesting is I took her talent and we solved for a massive problem we had at the company where um, it's it's a little too detail-oriented to get into on this podcast, but essentially it, it dealt with rates, um, ocean freight rates from Asia to the United States, and we were doing everything manually, email, email, email. And so I went to this specific staff member and I said, hey, this is your innate quality. And I know you don't get to use it a lot in your day-to-day here, but I want to change that. And so I gave her this project and I said, we need to solve for this. She went, I I let her alone. I let her fly off from the, the coop and she ended up building this tool that now provides for instant rates for our clients which did not exist. Some of the largest competitors of mine can't even solve for that issue. So to me, I think because you have this diverse team, you have this aspect of teamwork where everybody feels equal because they're all coming to it with different characteristics and different 
strengths. Um, and so I think that's really helped us with with our teamwork. Um, and then with communication too, that's a little bit of a struggle because some people are better communicators than others. So that's just why we leave that open door policy of, you know, whoever you're most comfortable with to communicate, communicate with them. But we've also taught people when they've made mistakes of not communicating, we've made sure to say, hey, this could have been avoided had you just communicated. Again, something interesting you said, which I think summarizing all these different people and you go to them, you say, this is your lane, this is your skill set. And you can do that because you have so many, it's such a diverse team that just because what made you successful or what makes so-and-so successful, so-and-so successful, I guess what I'm getting to is not everybody has to do it the same way. Right. And the, I think, wow, kudos to you and what a great culture to say, I'm going to let you try to figure it out your way instead of put you in a box yeah. and tell you to do it exactly how I did. Yeah. It's it's a struggle, though. It sounds <laughs> easy, like, oh, that's great. Just let them go off on their own. But again, I have a struggle with letting things, like giving things away. I will always want to impart on my team how to communicate to the client. And it goes back to 16-year-old Caitlin in a sales role. Like, I want all of my staff to instill confidence and trust and faith to every one of our clients. Um, and so I do still struggle. Like if I don't see that in through emails or a phone call or something, I'll always redirect them and just say, hey, here's how I would have done it without having them say, like I had this boss one time that would say, okay, send this email, Caitlin. And so, but she would say, well, but send it to me first before you you send it off. I'm like, okay. So then I would send the email and she would redlighten the entire thing and send it back to me to send. I'm like, well, why didn't you just send the email, right? And you're taking away these thoughts and ideas that I have. So I never wanted to do that to my team. I But I did want to kind of just like, you know, like just kind of guide them towards great email, um, next time just think about adding in X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and I think that they are very receptive of it. And they they see that. And, um, you know, they really appreciate that I, I'm not jumping in and trying to handle it for them. I literally had this conversation with a coach of mine last week that we talked about one of the frustrations. Sometimes when I get frustrated, it's because I feel like I don't have a voice, that mm -hmm. my voice isn't being listened to. And when you said that, you're letting them with that the blind spot navigator on the side, right? You're letting them use their voice, mm -hmm. giving them direction along the way, but letting them use their voice. And I have to believe that's a big contributor yeah. to the success of the company, the team, everyone. Absolutely. And to the clients. And at the end of the day, the customers, the clients, I'm sure they're receiving better when the team that's serving them is Absolutely. happy and driven and passionate. We haven't talked about this, but you mentioned more women in logistics. And tell me more about that. I, I, again, I'm not an expert in logistics. I can only guesstimate that women in logistics far and few between but especially somebody who came in and built her own business probably really again i don't want to assume so is that fair to say that it's uh, been a challenge or could be a challenge in that industry being a female and trying to make your way 
Definitely. I mean, I think it was harder earlier on. Now it's gotten a, now the trend has been to really support women in logistics. But when I started in logistics, that was not the trend, you know, and I had a lot of really negative male experiences um, in my career in logistics where they were constantly putting me down or saying, nope, you stay on this rung in the ladder. You're not allowed to go higher. And even some at one point said, well, why do you need to make more money? Your husband's an attorney. And, you know, this is all, and I hate to say that, I hate to focus on the negative because I've also had a lot of really positive male in logistics experiences, men that got behind me. I had to have um, three people to vouch for me to the government to get my license. All three of them were male. And so I think, you know, that all that to say, um, it's just like any other industry. There's going to be males that, you know, sort of don't support the female goal. Um, but then there's also going to be ones that really, truly do. So I think for me, though, I saw the issue not so much being that there's not enough women in logistics. There's not enough women in leadership roles in logistics. Almost every boss I've ever had as a male was a male. And um, I just didn't have a, a female mentor in this very male-driven industry. And it was something that I saw, I, I got really frustrated with early on in my career because I thought, you know, how can I grow in logistics but grow in leadership when, you know, Women are just, I hate to say it, women are very comfortable with women. Um, and so it's some of it, you know, early on in the career, I was intimidated to go to a male management and say, hey, can can you mentor me for management? Um, and then also it just wasn't, it wasn't an open concept. Um, it wasn't offered at some of the places I've, I've spent in my career. And so I just, decided like in order if I want to see more women in leadership roles in logistics, I have to be the mentor that I never had. And so that's been a huge goal of mine is to be that mentor. And so, you know, it didn't it this was totally natural, by the way, but um 90% of our staff is female. Um we have one male right now on staff. <laughs> and he's great. He is he's very wonderful and and totally, you know, um that doesn't even, you know, that isn't even a worry of his. Um, but the idea is, you know, I want women to excel in logistics, but to excel in logistics, we also have to build a more equalized distribution of male, female, of gender, of race, of sexual orientation, of, of all kinds of backgrounds. Because I truly believe, like back to the watering hole, that diversity is is truly what can make a company great. Um, and I think for women in logistics, they need to have an aspect of diversity. You can't be great in logistics if all you ever do is work with other women. You have to be able to, you know, know how to speak to all types of people. Um, and then two, I I knew that I wanted to build an organizational chart that was simplified so that females and males and anyone else that comes into the company can say, I'm starting at this level, this is my next goal, and then after that, this is my goal. I think a lot of companies' organizational charts are far too complicated 
like overcomplicated. And I think that they should be simplified so that the person that's sitting in that first seat, you know, right out of college, they can see that journey and that path for themselves. Otherwise, it's kind of this spider web, right, where organizational charts go all over the place and you don't really know where you fit in as you grow. So, um, you know, I'm 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 trying to debunk the myth of um, you have to be you have to have years of experience to be in logistics. I think there's a lot of talented women out there that could get into logistics and not have any experience in it. And so I'm trying to make that just through education. There's a lot of initiatives starting in St. Louis to bring logistics education into primary and high school. Um, And so that's one of the goals is to educate women and educate girls and, and young teens on, hey, you know, this is also a career path too that's not highly talked about. Um, And so I think, you know, all that to say, I think the the industry of logistics has done a huge, massive leap into growing the numbers in logistics. And it, I don't know the current ratios, um, but I know it was really bad when I in 2017. I think there were, I want to say it was like under 10% of executive C-suites were females. And that's a really low number. I want to say it was like 7%. Um, And so now I know that number's grown um, year over year. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully five years from now, it's even better. Well, I I laugh at a couple of things here. I think women, especially, well, women are men. If you've stayed home, if you have kids, uh, if you've worked, but you're, you're managing a household, you have to be good at logistics because there are a million things going on in it. And again, whether you're male, female, whatnot at home, it doesn't matter. You're good at that. Actually, I think one of the biggest compliments, at least that I can remember that my husband gave me recently was he's like, everything that happens in this family, you are the center. Mm, So that's a great compliment. Yeah, It really was because I thought, it's, you know, there's times where you're like, am I doing a good job? Are we getting what it's done? You know, he does a lot. It takes my middle child to all the ortho appointments. And uh, and that doesn't even capture everything that he does, all the soccer practices. But I thought, wow, is – anyway, that was one of the biggest mm-hmm. compliments that I'm still thinking about clearly. The other th- – so I wanted to say that I think women, if again, if you stay home, you're probably really good at logistics. Yeah. If you have kids, right. schools, et cetera, we could probably laugh a lot about yeah. that. One thing that stood out to me that maybe others are thinking, and I'm I'm going to say this in a way so we can share an answer to maybe help others. Why would a woman? What what good? How is it helpful? Maybe this, but that a woman would have a woman mentor. Why can't she just have a male mentor? And she probably should have some of those. But what's the importance of a woman mentoring another woman to help those understand yeah. what we might get from it that they can't understand? So personally for me, I think what I was wanting out of a women, oh, a female mentor was to meet me on all aspects of it. The emotional, the mental, the physical toll to be able to help me grow in thought and theory and balancing, right? And so what 
what I think our society is still pretty is still pretty of the norm is that, you know, the male of the household, if it's, you know, I'm just talking, you know, male, female, obviously, there's a lot of many diverse households, but typically one person, um, I call it the 1950s, like the male goes off and the woman's supposed to work in the kitchen, right? Well, now things have totally changed. And as our society and women's rights has grown, you know, women are like, no, we w- we want to go to work too, damn it. Like we're, we're we like something creative be- beings. We have something to give back. And so what's tough is you don't realize that you still have, like you were saying, you're in the center of your family. You still have all of these responsibilities at home. They don't go away. And a lot of women try to take on all of that and all of business, and it leads to disaster. And so I really wanted a female mentor to kind of help me navigate how to balance all of that because they understood it maybe better from a female perspective, but also because um, a lot of females have, I think we're just, we're just more supportive of the growth of diversity in logistics. And so I think women we're not threatened by that. And I think historically men in my industry, um, and it, it, I hate to say it, but it was a lot of like Caucasian men. I, I think every company I worked for, there was maybe a handful of African-Americans or someone of a different race. And that killed me. And I thought, gosh, this is tough. And at first when I went to these males to be my mentors, I realized I'm like, well, everybody's like, homogenous thinking like I wanted a woman to teach me because I felt like maybe a woman would have a different way of approaching logistics which I I think we do I think men do and a lot of the way men approach logistics I admire and a lot of the ways women approach logistics I admire Um, and so I just you know I really think though it's less about women it's more about the person Um, it's finding that mentor that that can meet you where you're at and help help you really get to your fullest potential. And I think it's important, again, part of the reason why I asked this question, have more than over time, right? You can't have 10 mentors at a time, but pick them from different oh, you know, yeah. races, genders, et cetera, so you can learn more. I and, and a lot of what I've experienced in my career is never that, you know, if it was more caucasian male dominated it often wasn't their intention or negativity it was Mm -hmm. just lack of awareness yeah and so i sought some commonality and awareness from somebody else that most often was female yeah you know and giving me ideas and permission to hire a cleaner uh you know get somebody to do the grass so that your you and your spouse can handle the other Mm -hmm. things or just how to communicate to men in a meeting. Um, Communication, I think, was probably the biggest reason why I wanted to find a female mentor and I never could find one. But I, I struggled to find my voice because, you know, I would be in a room full of men, the only female. I knew what I was talking about, though, but I was young. So I almost had two things against me. I was I was a female in a room amongst men, but I was also young. And I would be told like to stop talking. 
And I just remember like blood just like boiling in me. And um, I just remember saying like, don't ever tell me to stop talking ever. And I quit that job like a, a week later because I just knew if that's if that's higher level management, that's clearly not the culture that I'm meant to live my, out my career in. Um, and then, you know, there were other examples too that led to me leaving that company. But but I just, I had such that a negative experience. And then I took it into the next company and I had, you know, a male there kind of like squash my my potential and look at things differently. And so, you know, it was funny because appearance all of a sudden became something that was important as a female in logistics. Like you got, I was told, you know, from someone early on that like, well, she's good at her job, but, uh, and this was about, you know, a female colleague, she's good at her job, but she's not pretty enough to be face to the customer. And I thought to myself, a female would never consider appearance as a quality, as a quality of success, I guess, um, with the customer. And, you know, I'm giving men a bad rap. They don't, They shouldn't get, it's not all men, but I'm saying, you know, my experiences that are unique to me, I just never had that, um, that female perspective of, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how old you are, how much wisdom you have. What matters is what you bring to the table, which is super unique. And I was never told that by anyone. And so now I want to be a mentor to both men and women, but I don't want women to leave logistics because of bad experiences with men. Um, and that's really what my goal is, is to really kind of grow this confident woman in logistics. And that goes back to what you said earlier, like you're, you're driving confidence. I wrote it down because I thought it was so good. You want to drive confidence, whether it's with your team, your clients, customers, other companies you work with, uh, women in logistics, and even beyond that, I'm mm -hmm. sure. So driving confidence with the passion and the purpose lining up. Any other comments, statements, stories that you have that you, you want to share? I think we touched on a lot. Yeah, we did. Um, you know, I would just say, I think that I'm very, I've, I've found my tribe of females in business. Um, so even I would just encourage other women in business that if you don't find it at your company, it's okay. It is okay to do, to just not be able to see that. Don't quit the company because of it. You know, first, try to go seek them out. Um, one thing about St. Louis that I, I will always admire founding a company in St. Louis is the network is so incredible. And so I have this network of females that would do anything for me, both personally and professionally. If my company was failing tomorrow, they would come together and say, how much money do you need to stay open? And they also understand the stress of being a working mother. They understand, you know, um, that as females, we don't we don't sometimes always get that education that we need that males get like the financial aspects of business. And, you know, I think 
that I've been able to find that tribe in St. Louis, but they exist all over the world. Um, Look into networks, look into organizations, go to, you actually have to be present. I tell college kids all the time this. I speak at Mizzou a lot, and what I, my imparting wisdom on them is your network is everything. Your network is your net worth, and I fully believe that. Um, My network is what, was able to start my company. My network was able to help grow my company. My network is now helping me scale the company. And my network is single-handedly continuing to feed us with support, business, clients, um, staff. And so I I definitely would would just end with, you know, make sure that you find your people wherever they exist, um, because it is very lonely to be a CEO. Um, It's very lonely to start your own company, and you will eventually need that tribe around you. You, I loved your network is your net worth, which is amazing. And so if I could go back to my younger self, I would say, don't ever lose sight of continuing to build your network no matter how many kids you have no matter how many soccer games you go Mm -hmm. to always always maintain and pour into it and add and you get out of it what you put into it right Right. so a lot of what we talked about today is not to center around negativity it's to say what are some of the experiences we have take away the emotions and how do we learn from them get better but also add right in places to strengthen so again not to f- dwell on the negative it's these things happened what do we take from it how do we move on how do we be a better version for ourselves and help others out there mentoring and i'm going to say good golly because i was going to say good lord but i wasn't sure what to say but good golly makes me sound old anybody looking for a job (laughs) make sure you go back and listen to this because this is an amazing culture to grow and and thrive and elevate in like we said so not only from a if you're looking for a job but i think if you need logistics working with a company that's got integrity that pours into its people and its clients but it's people to pour into its customers and clients i mean just all of it so Global logistics, you explained a little bit about how it works, what it is, but what about a story, I think, to help myself and others out there really understand, explain it to somebody else. Yeah. Is there a client, a story, a situation that would stick out and really explain what you do for your clients? Sure, yeah. Um, Gosh, every day there's probably hundreds of stories um, in logistics, but, you know, one that kind of was recent that really notated our problem solving, our creative thinking, um, we had an import shipment. So what happens is our client, um, the product they were importing, it was hotel furniture. And um, they manufacture in China, and we facilitate door-to-door, which means we reached out to our teams in China. They sent the container to the supplier's manufacturer. They load the product up. Then our carrier brings it to the port. It gets on an ocean ship, comes to LA. It's supposed to go to Colorado. So it actually comes in to the United States, um, sort of on the the outer coast ports. Um, This one specifically was LA Long Beach. 
And there, the COVID did a number on my industry. Um, it really revealed a lot of severe infrastructure issues we have as a nation in, in transportation, and one of them is the ports. And so this container, it sat sitting at this port. It got unloaded from the ship. And what's funny is technology, in theory, is supposed to provide the transparency, right? So you're supposed to be able to look at technology systems out there now in in my world and say, okay, the container's right here, and it should be released on this date and moving on the rail to Colorado. We were up against a deadline because it's a hotel um, a hotel new build, so they had to install with the general contractor there, and there's specific dates that they need to meet. Um, otherwise, the hotel loses revenue if they can't book out that room because it's not finished. There's no furniture. It's sitting in an L.A. port. So what happened was we, um, instead of just allowing it to sit, which is what a lot of my competitors do, they do rely on that technology only. And when there's an exception, they just leave it. They just tell the client, well, I'm sorry, you know, it's stuck at the port. What our team did is picked up the phone. We figured out who the port terminal manager was, what stack and what row this container was in, in the port of Long Beach. We then contacted the rail to say, hey, this container is in this row and this stack. Is there any way if we get it out today, we can bring it to you to load on the next train going to Colorado? And um, we dug through every single layer to really figure out how we could, what I call, rescue the freight from just sitting there for weeks and missing deadlines. Um, And just by sheer pressure and communication, we were able to, that container, they said, oh, well, we've had other containers before yours that have been sitting here for four weeks. I'm sorry, like, we're not going to be able to get yours out. And just we persisted and we, we kept calling and calling and calling all of these different touch points And the very next day, that container was released. It was moved onto the rail and it was delivered on time. We didn't have to transload it and charge the client, you know, $6,000 more for trucking. We were able to follow through with our price quotation, but we were able to rescue that. And I mean, that's just the best story of the immense detail we put into what we call boutique customer service. Wow, the team you built gave them the power yeah. to be able to do those things. You mentioned matching, working 2023, obviously the purpose, passion, global logistics, purpose, impacting the world in a positive way, Gateway for Good. Explain Gateway for Good or maybe give an example or two of who you've helped through Gateway for Good. Sure. Um, so just last month, we we sponsored um, a large event for Camp Circle Star. Camp Circle Star is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I had a friend whose child went to Camp Circle Star. And Camp Circle Star is a nonprofit camp for disabled children. And they do not, um, essentially, it could be any disability, right? Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of camps out there or programs out there for um, children and adults with Down syndrome or autism. Camp Circle Star, it, it envelops every every disability. Um, and it's, you know, what I think is beautiful about the camp is that um, the words that my friend said, she said the one week that our son went to this camp each year was the one week that we felt like a normal family and that he felt like a normal child. 
And when he passed away years ago, I just, I felt called to support Gate. I felt called to support Camp Circle Star. And that was the very first donation we made um, in our Gateway for Good program. But the donation was also coupled with, um, I called the director of Camp Circle Star and I said, hey, I want to surprise my friend Katie. And I would love to be able to um, do something of service hours and and take her with me. And so um, her and I were able to go out to the camp and replant flower beds. And they, I believe they renamed the garden um, under her son's name. And I just forever knew, like, this is why this is our purpose, and this is why we exist. And then last month, um, we just supported um, – so I'm now on the board of Camp Circle Star because I've, I love them so much, and that that one environment, that one moment was so pure, I'll remember it the rest of my life, um, that I just knew I wanted to, I wanted to be – on a team to make sure that more children had these opportunities to come to Camp Circle Star. So um, actually through Tory Birch Foundation, I won an award um, after 2019 and they they did a grant of $5,000 from Tory Birch um, and that funded for um, handicapped playground equipment on the camp. So it's just been really cool to see how we've put in so much effort for good to see this camp succeed and to grow. Um, and it's just flourishing now. And last month they did their mouse races, um, which was just incredible. We got to support it. The whole team came. Um, and, you know, it's really something that I think is is a beautiful purpose um, for the community and something that is definitely always going to be a part of our Gateway for Good program. We'll never be able to answer this on this podcast. I think we'd need another half hour to an hour to say, how the heck does she do it all and do it all so well with a smile still on her face? But I think that just speaks to a lot of things you talked about. Find your purpose. You know, who are you at the core? Something I wrote early on, take a chance. I like to, I had read from a book that's called Get Ridiculous. It sounds like a lot of times in your life, you just got a little ridiculous. You went for it. You tried something new. Again, failure is feedback. Um, you know, try those those new things in a, in a positive way and mm-hmm. that energy will come back to you, mm-hmm. which leads then to a good point of if you like that energy, that positivity, success, how you take care of your people and clients, people can find you not only for your job openings, but either directly to work with you or they know somebody who should work with you and your team and your company. How do they find you? We have a very one-on-one relationship with every client, with every lead, with every person that we come in contact with. Um, So typically, I mean, you can reach out to us on on our website is is a great way. Um, Email, of course. But really, you can pick up the phone and call. You can literally just pick up the phone and call, which is rare that you can do that with a CEO. Um, But to me, I think it's it's such an logistics is such a complicated world that you know, you need to really have it curated to what you need. Um, We tell a lot of clients, reach out initially, but then we're going to want to have a conversation with you face to face. If if we're local, if we're not local, we'll come to you or just um, thank God for Zoom and, and what COVID did to virtual, you know, meet and greets. But we really want to learn your story. Um, 
to reach out to us is very simplistic. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You you have our website, um, www.shipglobalgateway.com. Um, but more than that, just ping us. We'll do the work to learn your story, to really figure out um, you know, how we can be able to support you in a better way. Um, and we're always, always looking for um, growing opportunities to simplify global logistics through technology and boutique customer service. You can't end say it any better than that or end any better <laughs> than that. Thank you so much for taking time out of your successful, busy, uh, driven life. And I think for sharing so many great stories and tips that I know will help more than one person out there because they certainly helped me. Thank you. Thank you, Kaylee. Yeah, thank you. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, eBooks, videos, and more.